many of you guys are going to learn a truth this morning that may very well be new to you. It may very well transform you. It may very well sort of expand your spiritual borders, even bring you relief where you need it the most, freedom where you need it the most. What if I was to tell you that there's an enjoyable, memorable, and relatively easy way to learn this truth, to be taught this truth? And then there's the way I'm going to teach it. <laughs> All right? So turn to Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It's going to be on page 844 if you want to use one of the Bibles in these uh, chair pockets or at the end of these aisles. If you want to hail a Bible from afar, I'm sure someone will be willing to pass it down. Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. In the New Testament, there are two main passages that give a fully or view of worshiping God with our singing, with our living. And they are in Ephesians 5, 18-21, and they are Colossians 3, 16-17. And both basically say the same thing. Worship is an act of expressing love back to God. Back to Jesus who first loved us. It is, in a sense, our... Uh, I don't know how many of you guys are writing thank you cards this time of year for gifts that were given to you. But worship is our thank you. Back to Jesus for what He's done for us. He gives us a free gift. Undeserved. Unmerited. Unconditional. This is our way to thank Him with our love back by worshiping Him. One passage, uh, the Ephesians ones, uh, wor- uh, emphasizes worship as a daily walk with God. 24-7, 365. While the other passage kind of emphasizes a little bit more the getting together and sort of priming the pump for that everyday worship. And that's why we're called to get together and address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. There's a one another to our worship, as well as Jesus. One puts more weight on how words and music ought to be a spontaneous expression of the Holy Spirit's leading. We're going to look at that next week. The other puts more weight on the intentional teaching function of worship. That's Colossians 3, 16 and 17. That's going to be our focus this morning. So let's read together Colossians chapter 3, 16 and 17. This is God's word to us. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So let's start with this command we just read concerning worship. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. I want to break this down a little. First of all, we hear whatever. This immediately broadens our idea of worship. Whatever you do. We hear in word or deed. That means Continually broadening our worship, it could be with our mouth or with our hands, with what we say, with an action towards our neighbor or someone we've just met. So this continues, this continues to broaden worship. Then we hear, do everything, every breath you take, every move you make, every square inch, every tick of the clock can be a place or time for worship. So again, worship is being broadened before our eyes. It's not necessarily building an altar. It's not necessarily just bowing down or singing or sort of reverently approaching God at church on Sunday. But it's also to be in the name of the Lord Jesus, we read. 
to do something or bring news in someone's name was to represent them. And not just any of them, but one whose name is Yahweh saves. God, the I am saves, Yeshua, Jesus. Doing something in his name. So it's meant to be both an expression of thanksgiving, but also a representation of Jesus. Every time you talk to someone with everything you do, does it represent Jesus? And as you do it, can you give thanks to God the Father through him? So, you know, fourth hour of watching sports. Can you really give thanks to God for that? Right? The fourth or fifth beer. Can you really give thanks to God for that? You know, you know, what, you know what I'm saying. Is this an act of worship? So what might constitute worship from, from this passage? Here are two sort of diagnostic questions that we can use to say, it, can this be worship? Firstly, can I do blank to respond and represent Jesus? And can I keep on doing it would be the second question. <laughs> With thanksgiving to God the Father. Can I do it? Can I keep on doing it? And then, of course, if it's an act of worship, do I do it? So Colossians 3.17 both broadens worship on the one hand, but it also narrows it. In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So worship can take place doing almost anything. It strips down that divide between spiritual and secular. Right? Between the, the sacred and the mundane. The New Testament says that worship, worshiping Jesus can be putting someone else's preference before your own. Ephesians 5.21, doing good in everyday life. Hebrews 13.16, sacrificing from your bank account. You see that in 2 Corinthians 9. How you use your body. Romans 12.1, all of these are acts of worship, and they're all everyday kinds of things. So if you filled out your pre-sermon survey on the bulletin, anyone have your bulletin? Maybe show that. There's a little fun activity. We don't do crossword puzzles at sunrise. We, we have pre-sermon surveys. But it was fun. I hope you enjoyed that. If you did it, you will see that some acts are truly acts of worship. Some are a little bit more difficult to answer, but certainly responding to a work email. That is work as worship. Doing your work by loving someone through an email, taking care of them, doing your duty responsibly, that's loving your neighbor. That's submitting to the authorities that God's given you. Certainly saying no to an indulged child. While it's hard and difficult, it's loving your child well. It's being responsible and worshiping as a parent. That is worship. Watching or playing sports absolutely can be worship. I mean, maxing to the limit the temple of, of God that he gave you, or more easily, something I'm doing more of, watching others do that in sports. Like that can be worship. You know, when you, you, you elbow your friend and say, man, did you see that? Did you see that play last night? Did you see what he just did? Don't you love that moment? You just appreciate how the human body was created in such a way that they jumped that far to spin as they dunk the ball, to bicycle kick. What's up with that? I mean, people do that. These can be potential responses of thanksgiving and representations of Jesus. Because, friends, worship is about the heart. If you do it and say, man, thank you, Jesus, for that. I want to love you back from what I'm doing here, what I'm saying here. So all those years of hearing preachers and spiritual so-and-so saying, hey, it's far better to attend this prayer meeting or this service or this initiative. Far better. It's not necessarily true. 
And for some of you, that's a radical statement. Because you've been oppressed hearing, you have to be here on Sunday. You have to be there Saturday night. You have to be there every hour for the prayer vigil. It's not necessarily. In fact, activities most would assume worship full can easily be done in your sir and first name and giving thanks to no God or to no one. It narrows worship. Romans 14.23 actually says that whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. In other words, if you do something or say something not out of faith, out of love for God or belief in Jesus, it's sin. That could apply to right now, right? That could apply to Sunday morning. You can attend a Sunday service simply to feel like you've done your duty. Is that faith? No. You can tithe out of habit. You can give out of habit. You can sing with no desire for God to grip or change you. You can help a neighbor simply really to help yourself to get rid of that feeling of guilt for something you did earlier in the week. Is that out of faith? No. And so the Bible says that could be sin, actually. What do you mean? Religious activities? Spiritual stuff? Yeah. Now this hopefully will blow your mind as worship could be. This flips the worship and the sacred and the spiritual upside down for probably what we've been told most of our lives. But how would you know that knowing your spouse, as Jesus 4 talks about it, or making a sandwich is rife for worship potential, while rigorous church attendance is rife for sin potential? How would you know that unless somebody taught you? Enter Colossians 3.16. Let's read that here. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing, which means advising, one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart towards God. So this teaching is supposed to take place when we gather together. Are we to do this by opening the word of God while someone preaches to us who's been called to do so, making sense of what we've just read? Or are we to teach and advise one another through psalms, through hymns, through spiritual songs, singing to one another? And the answer is yes. Paul intentionally connects the two. That teaching one another is supposed to happen as we read and open God's Word, as I'm doing right now, but also as we sing. It's both. There is a teaching function. Every time we stand up and you mouth those words, And the lyrics are sometimes up there, sometimes not. Either way, this is teaching. Worship. There's a component to worship that is also teaching. Now I think for the last few minutes, I've tried to keep it interesting. I've noted some of you normal mid-sermon nap takers haven't done the head bob. I think this is a sign of encouragement. My standards are low. But, you know, you could learn... Just simply that way. Or I could give you a stack of theology books like this high. Right? Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. Calvin's Institutes. Stephen Charnock and The Attributes of God. 16th century. This is some great stuff. I gave you that. Along with a sermon. Now, I've got to be careful here because I'm talking about <laughs> my life's calling and four years of money I spent on seminary. But... There is an or to this. You can learn solid and meaty truths about God in a more enjoyable and memorable way, which you already started to do this morning, whether you knew it or not. It was by singing a hymn. 
Singing a hymn. The hymn, Take My Life, contains this theology of worship. That everything we do can be worship to God. So, take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands, let them move at the impulse of thy love. As I'm motivated by the love of God, I want to use my hands to bless people, to love people. Take my feet, take my voice, take my will, take my decisions. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite, but I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power thou shalt choose. See, there it is. That's good enough. <laughs> we tried to time that, where I was going to say it and sing it at the same time. And I guess I'm a fitter. It's all right. <laughs> it was going to be so good. It's going to be like a ventriloquist. But, oh well. um, but see, see how much more delightful that song is when it breaks into my sermon? So much more delightful. It's more memorable. It's catchy. This sermon gets on your lips and it goes to work on your soul, this hymn, I mean. We, we can ask God to take every aspect of our lives and use it for His glory, right? And we get to sing about it. So I want to be very upfront with you what I really just basically want to get across to you this morning. In a nutshell, sing and share teaching songs called hymns. Sing them, share them with others. <laughs> I maybe never had a more simple main point. Sing them, share them with others. Hymns. They're amazing. Not just hymns. I'm not going to say here like this is the only thing you should sing. I would never hymn you in like that. Alright? Alright, because psalms and spiritual songs also point to him. Alright, so <laughs> it's terrible. I'll stop there. I, I have like three more. Should I see you keep going? Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. I'm not going to. There's, I, I've done this before. It's got me in trouble. But, but, but hymns, they, they, have this, they have this unique function in our worship diet. They teach us. Psalms connect our emotions to God who loves us with emotion. Spiritual psalms connect with our spirit. And, and, and almost in a supernatural, miraculous sort of way. We'll talk about that next week. Hymns teach and instruct while doing both of those things as well. So, I also want to be upfront with you what you're likely to take away from this sermon. It's not going to be three points you're going to put into practice this week. It's nothing like that. It's going to be individually a visit to iTunes. That's really what this is going to be this morning. A visit to iTunes and start incorporating more hymns into your songs. What you put on your iPod, what you sing in your car, what you put on at home. Corporately, including hymns as part of a healthy body diet. We're part of one body, the body of Christ. What are we feeding ourselves with? Is it only a feel-good dessert? A little bit of cake? I love cookies. Those sorts of things. Right? Is it only an appetizer? Or are we getting those vegetables? Those things that take a little bit of acquired taste, and hymns sometimes do that. But they're so good for us. Let me recommend a few albums just from the outset here. Um, these are just things that have really profited me in my life and have, have, have really served to help teach me about theology and the goodness of God. Uh, Jaden Lavick, Roots Run Deep, if you want to jot a few of these down. Uh, that's, more, that's what you just heard a second ago. He's more kind of folksy, just straight guitar. Just throws that right at you. Bethany Dillon, 
brings more sort of a little bit of a zest, a little bit of rock, a little bit of Katy Perry to him. So I don't know. That's, that might be a stretch. But whatever. In Christ Alone, uh, Modern Hymns is the name of that album, Bethany uh, Dillon. Uh, and then some also popular bands do, actually. Uh, some popular Christian bands do uh, hymn albums, like Jars of Clay is in a great hymn album called uh, Redemption Songs, where they incorporate the banjo and probably the jug bucket, if you're familiar from those of you from the U.S. South, you know, things of that nature, probably the, the washboard. And, and they use hymns. It's, it's really actually pretty cool. But also, like a lot of your favorite artists, maybe if you like Christian music, if you like worship music, incorporate different hymns onto their albums. Like Chris Tomlin puts a hymn on every album. Does it very creatively. Hillsong does hymns as well. So look those up. Radio, uh, iTunes Radio. You can find one hymn you like, make a station out of it. Spotify, Groove Shark, these sorts of things. You know what I'm talking about. So the rest of the sermon, that, that's the practical. That's what you can take away. It's pretty simple. Now, I have to persuade you why this is so important. That's the rest of the sermon is persuading you why you ought to sing and share hymns on the reg, on the regular. It's part of your diet. Seven, re- seven reasons I'm going to give you. Very quick reasons. We're going to move through them. Why you should listen, sing, be taught by hymns as we're commanded in Scripture to do. This is a big task because if you love music, persuading you to, to spend money and shuffle your iPod is a huge task because musical preferences are like borderline idolatrous, right? We, we love what we love, and no one's going to sort of dissuade us from that. Plus, most of our musical preferences were like cemented in our early 20s, right? For some of us, it was getting through university, and then that's kind of what you liked. Like for me, it was getting through, you know, like rock, grunge, thankfully some Dave Matthews slipped in there, and that kind of style of music. But I managed to avoid like Chumba Wumba in my college years. Remember that song? I get knocked down, but I get up again. I managed to just shield myself and protect myself from that. Or like Sugar Ray, those sort of, that sort of, sort of stuff. My guess is for you, on that list of things you love isn't hymns. It's somewhere on the list with Chumpa Wumba hymns. So I've got to convince you why you should incorporate hymns into your spiritual diet and your song diet. So here we go. Seven reasons to sing and share hymns. Number one, I just talked about it. The most enjoyable and memorable way to learn good theology is hymns. Singing them. Sharing them with other people. Hey, here's something I heard this week. Check it out. That's reason number one. Number two. The word of Christ commands it. We also just read that. Colossians 3.16, Ephesians 5.19. Address people in hymns, sing hymns to one another. The thankfulness in your heart toward God. Number three. The New Testament makes use of hymns already in use. And you may have noticed whenever you've read the Bible, particularly when you read what are known as the New Testament letters, that's basically everything from the book of Romans all the way through 3 John. But every once in a while, you'll happen upon something that looks kind of like a psalm. Like it's not in a continuous line, but it's kind of like broken down. It looks like poetry, but it's not a psalm. Yet, the, the, the passage is interrupted. The divine name goes absent. All of a sudden, it just refers to Jesus as he and only he. Words that appear nowhere else in the New Testament show up, and to us, it looks like a poem. What is that? It's a hymn. That's a hymn. 
And according to research I did a lot this week, these hymns showed up most prominently during this 60-year period between about 40 and 100 A.D. And so while Paul was writing most of, of his letters, these hymns were already being used in churches. So what would happen is, as Paul is writing, God would bring to mind a hymn. All right, so Philippians 2, 6 through 9, likely a hymn. The one who took the very nature of a servant did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. This amazing little passage about Jesus and what he did on our behalf was likely something being sung already in the churches. All right? 1 Timothy 3.16. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. I know that doesn't rhyme to us, but it's partly because we don't speak Greek, which this was originally written in. So it's not catchy necessarily, but this was likely a hymn being sung, this great theology about who Jesus is from the beginning and what he's done for us. Colossians 1, 15-20. Oh, this amazing sort of cosmic passage about Jesus from the beginning, that he is the image of the invisible God, firstborn, among all creation. By Him, through Him, in, th- in Him, all things were made. He is before all things. In Him, all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning. Firstborn from the dead and everything He might be preeminent or first. In the fullness of God, He was pleased to dwell. I love this. I'm going to read the whole thing. Through Him, to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. See all those hymns and hymns? Not referring to Jesus in the first person. And it may seem weird the Apostle Paul would use a hymn that he sung last Sunday to write the New Testament. But if you start to think about it, it's not, right? I mean, he, God, Paul took every opportunity to worship with God's people. And as he wrote these letters to help guide the churches, he was under the influence and guided by the Holy Spirit. And what happens when you start to sing a song or a song is in your heart? Man, doesn't the Holy Spirit start to move and bring you joy and thanksgiving? And, you're, and you're, even your very nature just starts to lift when you sing? And likewise, as, you're, as you start to be lifted by the Spirit without singing, you just start singing anyway. A song just immediately is put in your heart. I think this is kind of what happened with Paul. That as he was writing, a song would just come to mind and spring up from his heart. And boom, all of a sudden it became the infallible Word of God. <laughs> as well as a good hymn, it became God's eternal Word. Amazing. A great mystery, but amazing nonetheless. So, another reason to sing and share hymns, the New Testament uses them. They be part of the very Word of God. Reason number four, you should like hymns and sing them. They tell a story and they invite us into it. If I had to describe modern praise courses, and I want to make sure I'm careful here because I love a lot of modern praise music. Admittedly, I do love hymns as well, but if I could describe modern praise courses, many of which are truly spiritual songs, I would use the term image. Modern praise courses make use of an image, and we're very visual people in our day and age, and they just work on that image throughout the song. So a white flag, love is like a hurricane, oceans, heaven's opening, 
They, they take this image and then they, they repeat it. Or, so you can meditate on that theme over and over again in case you haven't heard it. So you know, recognize this. We sing a song over and over again. Lift up the cross, lift it high, lift it high. And then that, that if, if you actually count how many times, it's seven times or six times. Hymns rarely repeat. Instead, they guide us through a story. Which is, it's, it's different, but it's, it's equally cool. It's, they're these grand, elevated stories that kind of lift our lives into a better story, God's story, but refuse to kind of stoop down to our self-centered stories. You know what I mean? They don't sort of placate us and make cheap emotional appeals. A great example of this is the hymn, How Great Thou Art. It's a 19th century Swedish hymn. Thank you, Swedes. It's a great contribution. Anyone Swedish this morning? Yeah, all right. There you go. How great thou art. Maybe it was a relative. Um, <laughs> guess. I don't know. But, but you start out, this hymn starts out with God at creation. Consider all the worlds thy hands have made. Then, then the hymn moves us to our experience of God's creation, right? I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder. Then God gives us not only this experience, but also he gives us his son, not sparing. And one day he will return for us with shouts of acclamation. And so all of a sudden we've been taken through the story of the Bible, God's story. And we're invited to connect with that. It, it actually it invites us to, to be lifted up into his great story, a story of salvation and love. You'd think that stories written like this, hymns written centuries ago, wouldn't have any relevance, but as uh, Brian mentioned from Citizens and Saints earlier, we're dealing with the same soul matters that we always have since the beginning of time. And so hymns deal with those matters. God's story, a story we're invited into. A fifth reason you should love hymns and share them with others, sing them. Hymns keep us connected to our foundation. For those of you who have trusted your lives to Jesus, and I hope you have, and if you don't, I hope you do this morning, listen to the great privilege we have according to Ephesians 2. You are fellow citizens with the saints. Ah, citizens and saints. I just, just noticed that. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Do you, you get that image? So you're, you're, being, you're being built up on this foundation that people have laid before you. Christ Jesus being the cornerstone and in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into this great temple for the Lord. This great structure for the Holy Spirit to dwell in. What an amazing privilege. You are a uh, story, if you will, on this great house of God. Many of you know uh, Ray Jones. or You know or you knew Ray Jones. Ray's part of our fellowship for about three years here at Sunrise. How many of you guys knew Ray? What a, what a great guy. Uh, Ray sent me a, a great WhatsApp video yesterday, just keeping me entertained. He, he's just a, just a great dude, and he, he moved back to Houston, Texas. Ray loved hymns. In fact, when we didn't have a band yet, Ray used to sing solo with what we called I Worship over it. And His request, he always loved to sing, because he was up here just singing solo with a video going on behind him. And Jeremy probably remembers this. He, he would always ask for... Um, I Surrender All. Can we just play I Surrender All again? It was like the only hymn we had on I Worship. But he loved it. He, he loved I Surrender. I still see him up there singing it. He would talk so fondly about the first time he was taught that hymn 
I remember sitting on an airplane with him talking about uh, nothing but the blood and how he learned that from people who are older in his church and how it connected him with people. He used to say, uh, and this is totally Ray when you hear it, I I used to act like I didn't have time for them or their music. I don't have time for that when I was younger. But now I see how it connects me. I see maturity. I see how he's connected with the older persons in his church and the older generations through hymns. And that's one way I connected with Ray, who's only slightly older than me. If he hears this, I don't want him to get mad. He'll, he'll come after me. Um, going back to Ephesians, when we sing only contemporary songs, it's like we stay on one floor of God's great building. And we have all these stories below us, like 20 to 30 stories below us, that connect to the foundation, the apostles, prophets, and ultimately Christ Jesus. So, those are reasons. I want to give one more, one more reason. But before I do, I haven't really addressed our greatest objection to hymns. And actually, instead of telling you, let me just show you in 45 seconds, and then I'll recap what is probably summarizes your greatest objection to hymns. Here we go. Okay, obviously it's a little bit of a parody on what it sounds like with hymns, right? But when we walk into a church, and this is what you see, greatest objections to hymns are the three O's. Old, organs, and obscure, right? The, the, the old, like, it's musty churches, musty books and hymnals, sometimes older generations we think of. Organs, right? I mean, organs should be reserved for funerals, we think. Or in obscure lyrics. You can't even hear what people are saying. You have no idea what it means. But I think the, the, actually the fourth objection to hymns is the greatest by far, and it's this. And here's where I want to challenge you. We prefer to switch off our brains during worship. I think the greatest objection we have to hymns is for those of us who do like to connect with God and love connecting with God, is we prefer shutting off our brains during worship. And I get it. Some of us, not most of us, are searching for relief from the burden of thinking and planning and pondering during our week. Thinking is just taxing. But you won't find that relief by shutting down our minds. Rather, hymns are meant to aid the renewal of our minds, that we'll be refreshed. During our community group training yesterday, um, one of our good friends here, Marita Montgomery, was explaining how she, she and Neil, since they've had their daughter, Zoe, she has been doing more listening to praise music on Sunday mornings than singing. Because, you know, she's running around with this, this young, young child. She says, it's been interesting. I've been listening more to the praise music than singing, which is not what she's used to. She said, now stopping to listen more, the more she thinks, what in the world did I just sing? Like, what did I just sing? And why did I sing it so many times? In other words, she found that she was able to just stop and engage and think about, what am I saying back to God? What am I singing back to him? And she gave me permission to share this. Reason number six, 
Hymns keep us loving God with all our mind. Hymns keep us loving God with all our mind. From the beginning, hymns were meant to intended to teach God's grand story whose centerpiece is Jesus. Great pastor Charles Spurgeon said that whenever he came upon a great moment in the Bible, a great mystery that God revealed him, it was like God was saying just to stop and build a little altar of worship to him. And I think hymns do that. Hymns are meant to cause us to stop, build a little altar, and say, wow, God, you are awesome. In fact, when a hymn works well, it actually should stop you from singing. I'll give you an example when this happened to me. I, I remember the first time I heard the lines of Before the Throne of God Above, a great hymn. The enemy had been accusing me of being a lower-class Christian, unwanted, unloved. And I started to believe it. Man, I'm not worth anything. I'm not loved. People are nice to me. They say nice things. I don't feel like you know, they have to say that because I'm a pastor. This was years back, and I remember hearing these lines in worship. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. God the just is satisfied to look on him, Jesus, and pardon me. And I remember as I... About halfway through, I just started to mouth the words. Yeah, amazing. This is my one plea. That God who is just, who deserves to say you're not worthy, who deserves to say you're not loved, who deserves to say you're not part of my fellowship, looked on Christ to pardon me. When Satan tempts me to despair, that's all I need to hear. That's the beauty of hymns. You learn the truth you need to hear. My final and bonus reason, you should sing and share hymns. I received a $50 Amazon card for Christmas. It's probably my biggest gift, all right? And uh, I felt led this week to do this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to buy the first 10 persons who approach me after the service five hymns of their choice through Amazon's music store. I'm serious. I want to, I'm so passionate about seeing us as a people transformed by God through what we sing. You just have to come after me afterwards. Give me your email. I'm going to email you. Give me five songs. I'm going to buy them for you. All right. So reason number seven, Ryan's going to buy you free music. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for this rich tradition we have in the hymns. Thank you so much that we can not only learn about you and your story, and how we might be included in it. Grand truths about who you are, God, and who we are in Christ through preaching and through studying God's Word and through meditating on your, on your Word, through the spiritual disciplines, but also through just singing. Singing hymns. These little three to five minute ditties that are catchy and yet also make us stop, think, and build an altar of worship to you. We love you. Thank you for this great gift. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.